Katie Herzog, it's great to see you. You can't see me, actually. We never do this on camera for a reason. I'm picturing you in my mind. Funny you should bring that up, Jesse, because I learned recently... I had a, actually, this has been sort of traumatic. I wasn't sure that I was going to talk about it on the show, but since you brought it up, I will. Jesse, I did not know until very recently that most people, when they picture things or images or people in their minds, they have an actual picture in their minds. I did not know that. And you lack this ability. I lack this ability. This is called a Fantasia. Like some sort of sad robot with a broken microchip. Yeah, I have no inner images. I have no ability to visualize. And this has been, it's been really upsetting me. I wrote a piece about it even. I wrote a 5,000 word piece about my about my lack of an, of an inner life. For which platform? For no platform because I haven't uh, I haven't submitted it anywhere yet. And I'm not sure that it will get published even if I can. But <laughs> by the way, we should just say for any aspiring freelance writers out there, that's how you do it. Just write the whole thing at 5,000 words and then the, send the whole manuscript. Yes, this is how I do it. I don't like to write. I don't like to pitch. I like to construct the whole story. Because if you write just a pitch, your editor is going to be like, no, make these changes. I like to have the full thing done in advance. Besides, I'm, I don't make a living off of writing so I can do what I want. But yes, uh, yeah. So I had no idea that people could literally visualize things in their brains and that I lacked this ability to do it. And so I've spent the last month or so uh, trying to force myself to visualize and I have had zero luck. I cannot see a fucking thing in my mind. I So I've often wondered about this. I don't know if I can visualize things. Are you saying when someone visualizes something, they see like a fuzzy version of it with their eyes open? Well, it depends. So there are varying levels of this. It's basically the distribution is like there are some people who totally lack the ability to visualize. These are called aphantasics. I am one of them. Uh, and then there are people on the other end of the spectrum who are called hyperphantasics. Janet is one of them. So she can watch entire like movies in her brain. She can, for her, visualizing things is as, is, it's as though she was looking at a photograph. Wow. So you might be, yeah, you might be on the, on the weaker end of this. Okay, so in my brain, I'm trying. Wow, now this is freaking me out. God damn it! It's, yeah. Also, I just did a bunch of shrooms, so this is not <laughs> this conversation. No, I, I can. Okay, like a green chair or a chair with green padding. I can sort of. I can't really see it. See it, but I can. Yeah, I can. You know that it's. There. It's very weird. I can't. I can't describe what it means for me to visualize it. It's yeah. not like I see it though. You're saying you can't even visualize it. Right. I lack the ability to visualize at all. So in my brain, in my mind, if I close my eyes and you say picture an apple, it's just I just see the back of my eyelids. It's and this has been very upsetting to me because it turns out that this doesn't just there there are like various ways that this can impact your life. Like for one, I'm I'm a terrible drawer. I can draw things if I'm looking at it like from a photo or if I, you know, if a still life from a scene, but I can't actually if you tell me to draw something, like create something in my mind, I can't do it. I'm a bad dancer. I'm not very good at sports, and I think it's possible that my lack of abilities in all sorts of areas come from this inability to visualize. But the real upsetting thing about this is that there's evidence that people who can't visualize have poor autobiographical memory. And that is absolutely true in my case. <laughs> I always thought it was because I smoked too much okay. pot. I was going to say, there are what you call confounding variables here. You know, I, I agree with you. I always thought it was the pot. You know, the fact that I have very few memories of childhood or even like yesterday. But I've been doing a lot of research on this. And it turns out that most people, when they form memories, there's some visual component of it. So when you're trying to evoke a memory, you picture the event in your head. You picture yourself on the beach. You picture your children or whatever. And I don't have that. And so I, what I'm sh what I'm I've convinced myself is that at the end of my life, when I'm like looking back at my life, it's just gonna be blank. It's gonna be like a f like there's like feelings, but there's no actual memories. I've been I'm upset about this. This is what scientists call a dank confounder. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I so we should probably get on with the show. I will say I have trouble visualizing things. I'm also surprised at how little I remember from like certain periods of my life where I wasn't well, smoking a lot of weed. So maybe well, we're in the same boat. Yeah. One of our primos is as well. I got in touch with Sophie Scott um, after I had this realization because she's a she's a neuroscientist. And I thought, you know, she might know something about it. And it turns out that she also has aphantasia. Well, so we're at least in good company. Yeah. Katie, what is the name of this increasingly cognitively troubled podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. And today we're going to talk about 
uh, Nazis, I guess, right? We have to. Apparently they're back. I, they're teaming on the internet. They're just gathering there's up. So, there's so many Nazis. Three quarters of our listeners are members of the American Nazi Party. We didn't want anyone to know that. Um, yeah, we'll talk about Nazis first. We've got a couple quick notes from listeners about recent coverage I want to acknowledge. Um, one of them, I'm actually not going to read it because it's a little long, but she, this reader just pointed out that we, in our discussion of Claudine Gay, who was the former president of Harvard who had to step down because of plagiarism accusations, people have been saying she had only published 17 papers. This person was basically arguing that... Um, I'll just read a little bit. Quote, however, I think there are two problems with the way this is addressed. First, she is in a humanities department and the culture around publication in the humanities is much less about volume and much more about the significance of the contribution. End quote. This person just points out that Gay was doing big, uh, ambitious posts. And they also just make the normative argument that we Wait, shouldn't. did you just call her work posts? Big, ambitious posts? <laughs> posts. <laughs> Major scholastic publications. She did huge tweet storms. Everything's a post. Have you ever read Dostoevsky's post? About <laughs> sorry, papers, not posts. Oh my god, I have, such, I have po- severe poster brain. I have a, a condition where when I visualize a novel, it just looks like a Substack post. Uh-huh, <laughs> it's really yes. bad. Um, and this person also just made the normative argument that like it's obviously pernicious in academia that we pressure people to publish so frequently it leads to lower quality work. So whatever, those are fair points. I also got a DM from a friend of the pod in academia who said this about the situation with Bill Ackman's wife. Neary? Neary Oxman? Yeah, Bill Ackman's future ex-wife. Can you imagine how much trouble this man is in? His like own personal feud with Harvard results in this woman being absolutely humiliated because of her husband. Someone sleeping on the couch. I've always loved that as like an yeah. old timey. Um, okay, friend of the pod, DM me. This guy's in academia. He's respected. I'll leave it at that. Quote, near the end of the gay discussion, you and Katie both said that if she were an MIT faculty member, Oxman should be fired for what she did. First, as a matter of fact, this would never happen. Yes, it's plagiarism, but of a mild and almost certainly accidental sort in a dissertation 14 years ago. Nobody in the history of academia... How do you accidentally plagiarize? I, I'm very confused I about I'm giving, this. I like this guy. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Nobody in the history of academia has lost their job for something that small fry. I guess that's checkable. This thing happens all the time, and if we fire Oxman, we have to fire a lot of people. Also, having been on the... Ex- yeah, fire them all. Also... <laughs> this is a great <laughs> idea. Say, okay. Also, having been on the executive committee at... Uh, prestigious university for many years, we would never expel or suspend a student for small and inadvertent errors. Now, you said should, not would, but if you gave us more thought, I bet you'd take less of a zero tolerance policy. It's akin to saying that if a journalist got some facts wrong, however minor, however accidentally, he or she should be fired. Um, Some of that's fair. I think it's pretty fair. I guess to me, if a Harvard undergrad had a pattern of plagiarism that extended across a lot of their work, even if the individual cases were minor, at a certain point, you would suspend them. Also, you know, Harvard, we should, as has been pointed out by others, Harvard rescinded the application of or acceptance of a kid for like saying a racial slur in a not like Actually, one kid. Harvard rescinded the acceptance of like 10 kids who used racial slurs when they were teenagers in some Facebook group for edgy teens, for like edgy edgy meme groups. Yeah, I, imme- I immediately regret bringing up this example because people are going to get mad at us and maybe it's irrelevant. I'm just saying like the, the standards seem to differ based a lot yeah. on context. Um, I mean, my, my position on this is if this is something this person is saying that a student wouldn't be kicked out of school for plagiar for minor plagiarism my my feeling on this is if 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 oxman or gay if what they did would get a student kicked out and it sounds like with gay it's more egregious then the professor should be held to the same standard as the students on uh on oxman retraction watch has since reported um, the researcher who has become embroiled in plagiarism accusations following her billionaire husband's push to depose the president of Harvard for plagiarizing in her thesis appears to have lifted about 100 words in her thesis from an article that has been plagiarized before. Yeah, so it appears that this is not just accidentally copying uh, definitions from Wikipedia. Bill Ackman seems to think that that doesn't count because Wikipedia is crowdsourced and so therefore it's not copyrighted. Was it, was it like the argument that like it was almost like a constitutional originalist argument. It's like the rules don't say uh, Wikipedia didn't exist yet. So the rules didn't say you can't play. I, I didn't get that. 
Uh, that strikes me as plagiarism. Ackman also, I mean, the guy, he's a billionaire. He went to Harvard. I'm assuming that he's smarter than I am. And yet his understand, his his grasp of certain con- concepts, like he tweeted at Business Insider, uh, which is the outlet that initially published these allegations that his wife, Neri Oxman, plagiarized. And I think as an aside, the question of whether or not she is fair game, that's a valid question. We could have that discussion. But he spent the last few weeks trying to tweet through this and just digging himself and his wife. And it Seriously deep, tweet he, through it. There needs to be a stronger yes. word than tweeting yes. through it for what he's, he's doing. He's making it so much worse. Here's my favorite tweet of his. At Neri Oxman is not a public figure. She's an intensely private person married to a public figure. And then he continued, Business Insider called her a celebrity academic, but it only did so to create the false pro- premise that she is a public figure so they could attack her. She is a public figure. I googled Neri Oxman magazine covers. There's a bunch of them. She's been profiled in the New York Times. She's been profiled in Vanity Fair. Fast Company named her uh, one of the 100 most creative people in business. They put her on the cover of a magazine. She's been on the cover of Wired. She's done TED Talks. She's got a fucking show on Netflix. She's had dozens of shows in museums, including MoMA. I don't think he knows the definition of a public figure. He's He thinks that because- This is your problem for assuming that because he's a billionaire and right, went to Harvard, he's right. smart. We have plenty of examples to the contrary. You can be a public figure and an intensely private person. Nobody's going to argue that because Woody Allen is an intensely private person about his personal life. He's not actually a public figure. I think that Bill Ox- Ackman actually doesn't know what a public figure is. Well, well, also, he's trying to make some point, about, I assume, about defamation law because that's where that's relevant. But it, it just wouldn't apply because I don't believe anyone's no. accused Business Insider publishing anything that's false. If it's true. Uh, he has. He continues to. He's And he's now on this, like, going on this tirade against, like, the owners of the company. He thinks that this is really <laughs> nefarious. I mean, do you think that... Business Insider did anything wrong by essentially going after his wife? No, I mean you could argue whether or not it's newsworthy. I think it is. I mean, if you're if you're like this guy has this crusade and then his wife did the thing that is this, like it's irresistible. Like it's a little bit like tabloid, yes. but it's it's completely legitimate, and she's a real academic <laughs> and a real public figure. We she must be uh, so pissed at him right now. And apparently he tweeted this. Apparently uh, Brad Pitt at one point was wooing her, so maybe she'll leave him for Brad Pitt. Best case scenario, this ends with Bill Ackman divorced and his wife with Brad Pitt. And then it turns out Brad Pitt plagiarized. A plagiarized. Lot of stuff. Um, there is something interesting about the kind of person like Bill Ackman who is accustomed to getting whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and bossing people around, and then having that bubble pierced and being like, there's a whole world out there where, that you don't have control over. That must be very um, disturbing and disorienting for someone like him. Yeah, he and uh, Elon have some things in common, I think, besides just uh, their pocketbooks. Katie, I've had enough of you trying to distract from the growing threat of Nazis on subtext, so I'm going to have to insist (laughs) we switch to that subject. All right, let's do it. Okay, I guess we should do some disclosures. Uh, We are on on Substack. They gave us money. newsletter on Substack, jessiesingle.substack.com, jessiesingle.substack.com. Don't, do don't, don't, don't bleep that out. It's such a good newsletter. It's separate I'm from this. Um, although this episode, we're going to overlap a little. Um, we got an advance, this podcast did, to move from Patreon to Substack. Um, oh, we also went to that sex party at the Substack Malibu mansion. <laughs> Oh, my God. If I walked into a sex party and you were there, I wouldn't just leave. I would burn the whole thing down. That'd be so amazing if, like, Chris Best and Hamish McKenzie just, they really got, like, a sex mansion in Malibu. That's not the life. <laughs> and, all of, and all of the, the various people on Subsex who all have, like, hate each other were there. Oh, my yeah. God. No, and, like, the sex party, it's, like, me and, like, Matt Iglesias and Richard Hanania. <laughs> Mike Cernovich comes in in gimp, in gimp gear. This would be the worst fucking sex party ever. Luckily, I can't Okay, that image in your head. Um, we make money off Substack. We, at this point, we we could leave if we wanted to, but we like Substack. We feel some degree of loyalty toward them, so you know, take what follows for what it's worth. You know, we did get an email from a competing platform the other day. Uh, that, oh, we're uh, gonna get that. We're gonna get <laughs> okay. that. Okay. Um, okay. Substack's Nazi problem. Um, you know, to me, like the history of Nazis is Germany in the 30s into the 40s, and then now, Substack. Those were the two times Nazis were able to gain power. This current... What about Boston in the 80s? 
Yeah, those are skinheads. It's a little different. Um, oh, sorry. And Southie, just good, good, hardworking Southie folk. Okay. Anyway, the the uproar over Substack and Nazis started in late November when the Atlantic posted an article by Jonathan M. Katz headlined "Substack Has a Nazi Problem." Nazi. I, I pronounce that like the nanny. <laughs> Nazis. Uh, subhead. The newsletter platform's lax content moderation creates an opening for white nationalists eager to get their message out. So this led to an open letter signed by, I think, 247 substackers, many or all of whom also republished the open letter on their own substacks, and they demanded that substack crack down on Nazis. So author of this. Jonathan M. Katz, he's a journalist and book author. He's an all-around good guy. Katie, uh, for the sake of disclosure and to give a sense of just how good a guy he is, will you read this classic tweet of his from 2021? Still one of the truest things ever written on this website. And then there's a screenshot here. (laughs) Single is a toxic piece of shit who also has the thinnest skin in media and how he gets work is a mystery. He's a vicious pig and he goes out of his way to destroy trans women and I'll drink champagne when he's dead. Who who tweeted that? I don't know. Some random person. But Jonathan M. Katz is not a random person and he's publicly saying the death of a fellow journalist uh, should be tweeted, I guess, because of all the the trans women I've destroyed. Uh, It's very good stuff. I will also drink champagne when you're dead, but it won't be because you've destroyed trans women. It's because I'll earn a lot more money if I don't have to split it with you. Uh, You're making certain assumptions about our business model and uh, listeners, if I die, my final wish is for you to unsubscribe from Blot Reported. I'm deleting that. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's Jonathan M. Katz, or just a little taste of him. He's a very unpleasant fellow. Katie, did you read this article? I did read the article, yes. Of course I did. I thought, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it more broadly. I thought part of the problem is that Katz couldn't really decide exactly what he was mad about. Like... If he's mad about actual Nazis, he didn't provide much evidence for their presence other than claiming he found Nazi symbols on 16 different substacks. He doesn't mention how pop were some of those like anti-Nazi substacks that were uh, displaying symbols to show you how to recognize them. <laughs> there was very like he was just very vague on the details. Very vague. And part of that vagueness is like not wanting to link to Nazi material, which I get, but there's ways around that. You can link to archive versions of the pages. Yeah. You can give hints as to what you found it's like when when outlets will say that somebody used some like a slur or something but they a racial slur yeah yeah. but they don't actually tell you what it is and that's sometimes is necessary i mean i was reading selective passages from hawk finn very loudly on the subway (laughs) as i do every saturday right right there's just it's this it's almost like the goal is to protect the reader as the reader, I don't want protection. I want the relevant information. I want to be as informed as possible. I mean, I think the goal here is to protect Jonathan M. Katz, yes. as I'll get to. Yes. Um, so the the strongest case, uh, Substack has some white nationalists on it. It has uh, Richard Spencer, who's definitely a white nationalist. Um, but in terms of the scale of the problem of actual Nazis, he mentioned 16 Substacks he found with symbols. We don't know who what these 16 Substacks are. We don't know how popular they are. The denominator is large because Axios reported uh, there are 17,000 monetized newsletters on Substacks or monetized authors, meaning there's significantly more free newsletters. So this is a tiny drop in the bucket. So yeah, that's one of his gripes. His other gripe is that Substacks top brass has promoted the work of people he finds offensive, like Richard Hanania. These days, Hanania is considered like a serious enough right-wing thinker and academic, uh, albeit an edgy one um, who said some pretty racist-seeming stuff. Back in the day, he posted really racist stuff under a pseudonym. We discussed him in a premium episode we'll link to. Um, so I should say, I, I think Katz is an incredibly untrustworthy narrator and an arguably dishonest one, but I, I think we should first just like lay out what Substack's actual policies are, because I think that sort of shows that this is a trumped-up controversy. Um, so since November of 2021, This is all that Substack has said about hate speech on Substack.com slash content. Hate. Substack cannot be used to publish content or fund initiatives that incite violence based on protected classes. Offending behavior includes credible threats of physical harm to people based on their race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, age, disability, or medical condition. Okay, so it's pretty narrow. Yes. I read it, and I think basically anyone who knows how this stuff works would read this as intentionally designed to hew pretty closely to the First Amendment when it comes to hate speech. 
Um, Substack higher ups told me that this was a revision of their previous slightly tighter policy because they wanted to make clear that they weren't going to censor or demonetize stuff simply because people claimed it was harmful or offensive. People claim everything is harmful or offensive. But this policy on hate has been in place since November of 2021, so more than two years, which is why I found it weird that so many people are complaining about it now. Yeah, I mean, so they are, they are, it looks like they're using the First Amendment as their guide somewhat, somewhat, but they also, there are other things that are protected under the First Amendment that are not allowed on Substack, like for instance, porn, right? Yeah. And some of Substack's critics have, have made hay of this. Um, Porn is banned as is content calling for harm to oneself, to others, or to animals. Like, uh, Katie, you don't want to know what a crush video is. Mm. Um, do you know what a crush video is? I can uh, intuit based on context clues. The good news is you can't visualize it, so you don't have to worry about I it. I can't. That's true. Does it have something to do with cats? If it's cats, I don't care. So when I was at the Malibu Sex Mansion, <laughs> uh, I was I was I was trying to get some details out of Chris and Hamish about like how these specific. Um, policies came to be they wouldn't really give much up which is understandable uh they're, they're keeping it close to the vest on porn i think the answer is obvious which is that as soon as you allow the posting of porn you're gonna have to really beef up your moderation and you open yourself up to possible legal problems for things like revenge porn minors trafficked individuals right and they I, i'm sure it's totally not worth the headache it seems like that's probably a calculation that they've made but Porn is also a huge industry. I'm sure lots of money could be made by pornographers on Substack. So they're they're leaving money on the table, guys. Maybe. It's large. It's also very crowded. <laughs> like, I mean, OnlyFans is, is yes, gigantic. So I just, this idea that, well, they don't really, they're not free speech purists because they don't allow porn. Like, well, they're also a business and they make business decisions and nobody's a free speech purist. Right. I, I don't know if they have claimed to be, but they have, they, I mean, one of the reasons that we went with Substack was because Substack was more hands-off when it came to moderation. And there was also lots of other reasons, the primary one being they gave us actual money, but their ethos has been, you know, we're the we're the free speech guys. Yes. And we are we are, despite what a few crazy people say, like I don't know, 50th percentile for actually offensive content on the internet. But you and I have both experienced this thing in recent years of people stretching concepts like harm and abuse and harassment to the breaking point. Yes. I had individual named people, uh, Talia Lavin and Jude Doyle, say that I should not be allowed to be on Substack without giving any ex – like th there's a crazy level of attempted censorship and deplatforming going on, which is part of the reason we went with Substack. Right. There was an entire campaign a couple years ago to get Substack to crack down on what, what critics call transphobia and – this to me, what's happening now just seems like a, a rebirth of that movement. It didn't work that time. It seems like it's it's a little bit more effective this time, but it was the, a lot of the same characters complaining about the same stuff. They've just shifted from transphobia, Substack's not going to listen to that, to Nazism. Yeah. Okay, but so back to this Jonathan Katz guy. Are you saying that his article is inaccurate? Yes, I'm saying this one story he tells is complete and utter bullshit. I'm just going to read the whole excerpt in question as it originally appeared in The Atlantic. The platform has shown a surprising tolerance for extremists who circumvent its published rules. Patrick Casey, a leader of Identity Europa, a defunct neo-Nazi group, had been banned from Twitter and TikTok and suspended from YouTube after running afoul of those platforms' terms of service. Elon Musk, Twitter's owner, subsequently announced an amnesty that restored Casey's account, among others. Perhaps most damagingly to a content creator, Stripe had prohibited Casey from using its services. But Substack was willing to let a white supremacist get back on his feet. Casey launched a free Substack newsletter soon after the 2020 election. Months later, he set up a paywall, getting around Stripe's ban by involving a third-party payment processor. Quote, I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling, end quote. He wrote on a Substack in 2021, quote, the cause isn't going anywhere, end quote. So just put that, what I just read you, if you had just read that, put that in your own words of, of what you think happened based on that paragraph. Patrick Casey, a neo-Nazi who was banned from a bunch of other platforms, was allowed to uh, monetize his content on Substack, and was and he was successful in doing so. Yeah, I find yeah yeah I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling. Yeah, it sounds like he's making a living. Yeah, so in this account, Patrick Casey is sort of on the run. He he has fewer and fewer places to post and make money. He's been dropped by Stripe, which is a major payment processor that we use because we're on Substack. Uh, that seriously limits his prospects. 
Then he discovers Substack. He's able to, quote, get back on his feet. That's Katz's exact language. And soon he's making a comfortable living spewing hate because he, quote, circumvented, again, Katz's language, Substack's policies, and, and Substack doesn't care. Now, this story was so outrageous that you can find it near the top of the open letter, a bunch of Substackers, uh, both sent to Substack and republished on their own Substack. Substackers against Substack. Yeah, basically. It was disseminated over and over again by some very big names, including Margaret Atwood, but the thing is, basically, none of this happened as Katz described. He completely distorted just about every aspect of this. It's effectively a made-up story. Oh, wow. Okay, explain. Jonathan Katz got his quotes from a Patrick Casey Substack post that I think doesn't exist anymore online. I couldn't find it. I was able to find an archived copy of it with very little effort. Katz could have linked to this archive page, but he didn't, and there's an obvious reason for that. It completely debunks Katz's whole narrative. So in this post, which we will link to, Patrick Casey, this white nationalist, former Identity Europa guy, notes that he hasn't posted to Substack for a while, uh, lists some of the places he's been deplatformed, including Stripe, and then writes the following. Katie, do you want to read this? Sure. Aside from the unfortunate realities of deplatforming, my life is going fairly well. I've been blessed with a growing network of friends and political contact. I'm in great health and I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling. Again, long term, I'll likely have to find something else to do, but I'm more than content doing this for now. I do plan to use this Substack more often for both paywall and non-paywall posts. Given I've been banned from Stripe with Substack uses for its paid subscriptions, half of each paywall post will be available on Substack while the other half will be accessible via Subscribestar. So first of all, the line I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling obviously doesn't refer to money he makes from Substack because he explicitly says he makes no money from Substack. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like because I wondered about that because Substack uses Stripe. That's their payment processor. So how would he circumvent that? He didn't. So Katz wrote that, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Casey circumvented Substack policy by using a, quote, third-party payment processor, end quote, uh, strongly implying that he is making money on Substack. That's the plain text meaning mm -hmm. of what Katz wrote. That's not what happened. Rather, he couldn't monetize on Substack, so he linked out in to an entirely different website, Subscribestar, because he couldn't make money on Substack. So do you agree that the way Katz presented this is very dishonest? Yeah. I mean, if I just reading Katz's post, you would think that there is some way to like connect a third party processing payment processor to Substack. Okay. So that addresses the comfortable living. He was referring to a comfortable living in some other industry. I reached out to Patrick Casey and confirmed that. he was Wait, not some other industry. I mean, it's still writing, right? Or was that misleading too? I think he might have a real day job. I'm actually not sure he wouldn't say. I reached out to Patrick Casey. He confirmed that he was not referring to Substack. Oh, there. okay. Katz did not reach out to him that. So you platformed a literal Nazi. I literally platformed a Nazi. So that was the first part of it, that he's making a comfortable living. Then there's that line the, right after, the movement isn't going anywhere. How, how do you interpret why Katz included that or what he's trying to say there? So, I mean, it's a little bit confusing, but is Katz trying to say like when he says this movement isn't going anywhere, they mean we're not leaving Substack? We have a safe home at Substack? That to me, I don't see what else he could mean by that. I'll just read it one more time. I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling. He wrote on his Substack in 2021, the cause is isn't going anywhere. To me, my interpretation was this guy's been deplatformed everywhere. He's finally found a home. He's making good money. This will help the white nationalist cause. I think that's a reasonable reading of what Katz was saying, right? I think it's reasonable. I don't know. It seems more like metaphorical to me. I don't know what Katz was trying to say yeah. here. I don't know. Yeah. Either way. So I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling. 200 words separate that and the line, the cause isn't going anywhere in Casey's uh, post. So he just mashed them together. It's a big dot, dot, dot. Yes. He left without the dot, dot, dot. So uh, here's the context of that. This is the end of Patrick Casey's post. Lastly, I sincerely hope that everyone reading this has been able to stave off any feelings of despair or hopelessness that may have arisen in the wake of Biden's inauguration. It's perfectly normal to check out from politics for a while if needed. <laughs> oh, my God. This, this is so funny. If you just replace Biden with Trump, this know, is absolutely something that you would read on lib, lib resistance Twitter. However, we mustn't forget that we all have a role to play in our eventual victory, however seemingly slight or insignificant. Spread the message on social media. Create content. Content, support content creators and activists, get active in local politics, and above all else, ensure that you're taking the necessary steps to achieve your goals. If you're obese, addicted to substances, lacking good career prospects, or failing to take steps to create
create a family, then you should fix these problems first and foremost before trying to save the world. The cause isn't going anywhere. Remember that. <laughs> this is has nothing to do with Substack. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Substack. This is literally far-right self-help. Yeah. He's telling his readers to take a break from their racism if they're having mental health problems or want to start an Aryan superfamily. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, this is Jordan Peterson messaging, clean your room. The cause isn't going anywhere. Clean your room and then cleanse America from the white race. So like I said, this story about Patrick Casey setting up a comfortable living on Substack spread far and wide. So, And then in the open letter, there's actually nothing separating the quotes. It was like a game of telephone. The language reads, Patrick Casey, a leader of a now defunct neo-Nazi group who is banned on every other social platform except Substack, wrote on his Substack in 2021, quote, I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling. The cause isn't going anywhere, end quote. Jesus, this is really bad. I cannot believe this got through any sort of fact checking at the Atlantic. This is really bad. Yeah, to be right. To be clear, what I just read where there's no said Casey between that was from the open letter. But even putting those two quotes together in that way is incredibly misleading. In my experience, different outlets have different standards on. um, So it's like, uh, I like hot dogs, said Katie. They're good. Different outlets have different standards on whether those two utterances need to be exactly consecutive. But if if the second one changes the meaning, you obviously can't mash together two quotes from very different parts of the interview, correct? Yeah, absolutely. This, I mean, the, the goal should be to give your readers a clear understanding of what's going on, and this is the opposite of that. And he didn't link to this so that the reader themselves couldn't go in and see that he was misleading them. Katz himself republished this open letter. I saw, I'm such a fucking obsessive weirdo. I signed up for his premium newsletter so no. I could see... If he published I a version cancel of that, it, I am going to cancel it. So I could see if he published a version with the quotes mashed together because Katz himself knows where these quotes are from. Yeah. Yeah. And he just put them together in the same quote with no separation, which is like, this is fucked up. That gets you like at least a talking to and maybe suspended if you work for an outlet. This is closer to Claudine Gay than, than Neri Oxman. This is really bad. <laughs> It's different. You didn't plagiarize. It's just. It's very I'm just bad. saying on um, the level. This is this is like get fired from as president of Harvard shit. This is intentionally misreading, misleading the reader. It's awful. It's fucking. It's disgraceful journalism. Now, the weird side, the weird uh, footnote here is Patrick Casey was eventually able to monetize his newsletter. I asked. Oh, well, Subst- then Katz is right. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Substack about this, and they said he must have been unbanned from Stripe, but. His page says he has 800 subscribers. That's free plus paid. And he doesn't have the badge that would indicate 100 or more paid subscribers. I asked him about what he's making on Substack. He said the money was, quote unquote, negligible. He's not making a comfortable living. He's not making any living on here. Yeah, you would not know that from Katz's story. You would think the exact opposite. This is going to make this. What's his name? Patrick Casey. Yeah. This is going to make Patrick Casey hate Jews. (laughs) Jonathan Katz did this. If he didn't already, he does now. Patrick Casey had great politics before this. Now he's going to come to distrust <laughs> the mainstream media and possibly Jews, which would really be a shame. Okay, so did you go to the Atlantic and point this out? I physically went to their building in D.C. I I blocked <laughs> you, the highway. You chained yourself to the door. I emailed a contact there. They got back to me late last night. All they did was add a bit of language. So now the passage reads... The extent to which, so basically I should say, it's all the same. All the same claims are there. They didn't remove any of the claims, but now part of it reads, the extent to which this workaround and Casey's presence on Substack more generally contributed to his livelihood is unclear. I'm able to live comfortably doing something I find enjoyable and fulfilling, he wrote on his Substack in 2021. The cause isn't going anywhere, he declared in the same post. But this is the same thing. They it's just the same thing. reworded, they just plagiarized themselves. They just reworded the same shit to make the same incorrect point. All the key claims are there. The passage still accuses Substack right. of allowing a white nationalist right. to violate his policies, still strongly implies he's making a comfortable living on Substack, and still strongly implies the cause isn't going anywhere, has anything to do with Substack. And I explicitly told the Atlantic. I emailed Patrick Casey and he confirmed he makes no money on Substack. Um, and given that Katz didn't reach out to Casey at all, of I just course. don't think they should present this as ambiguous. And did they issue any sort of correction or editor's note at all? Or did they stealth edit this non-change? No, they called it an update. And they just added those few little wriggle words. And I mean, it's better than nothing. But In this case, it is an update because it changes nothing about the context. <laughs> I don't really think it does. Um, it, this was... Uh, the fact-checking process was broken, but but 
look, they apparently didn't have access to the archive post, which would have immediately revealed Katz was misleading everyone. Katz didn't link to it. It's just a remarkably dishonest. They should have had access to it because the editor should have gone to Katz and said, hey, we're fact checking this. You're making some really serious claims here. We're fact checking this. Where's the fucking link? The Atlantic, I, I was told that the Atlantic, as part of the fact checking process, asked Substack about Patrick Casey's presence on the platform. But a, Substack isn't necessarily going to reveal anything about any individual user's money. And B, there was a post right there on Substack by Patrick Casey saying he could not make money on Substack at that time. You don't need to fact check through Substack. He himself told us that. So this was just really bad. Okay, so after Jonathan Katz posts this, there's this open letter sign. Katz also endorses that. And a number of Substack writers leave the platform including I just saw Casey Newton, a, a well-known tech writer. And you looked into some of his reporting, correct? Yes. It was not much better than Katz's. Uh, but let's first uh, do housekeeping and for free listeners an ad, and then I will get to that. Jesse, true or false? You own a dating service in Brooklyn called Single Singles. Before I answer that, I want to note that you wrote this script. <laughs> yes. Looking for a mate who truly tingles? Join Single Singles, where love mingles. You might want to work on that, but imagine that customers are rushing to your retail dating service. Obviously, that Wait, would never happen. Wait, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I'm imagining it. Okay, I'm imagining it. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a no. real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly. No, keep it effortlessly. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. <laughs> Just keep that. You have to keep that. People like our ads because you don't know how to talk. Source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Did you say Shopify? Shopify, our new knife company. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash barpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash barpod to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify dot com slash barpod check out my dating service katie do housekeeping i've been talking a lot we are a podcast you can reach out to us first of all yes heil hamish <laughs> you can reach out to us at blockchain reported podcast at gmail.com uh, you can also – do we have a merch store right now? The merch store is – it's sometimes up and it's sometimes not. <laughs> not really sure what's going on with the merch store. Look, always project strength, okay? Like Hitler said. And do we – is it, is it currently – do we currently have a March start, Jesse? <laughs> yes, it's alive and well. It's great. I'm looking at a blocked reported baseball cap. Um, God, the colors are uh, – Terrible. Prima Donna shirts. Yeah. Okay. So we've yeah. got a merch store. You can buy something if you Barpodmerch.com. Yeah. Just yeah. in time for the holidays. Yeah. Uh, we are also on Reddit. You can check out our subreddit, which we should disclose we actually have nothing to do with. Uh blockedandreported.reddit.com. Jesse, do you know has a new moderator been chosen since Soft and Sweet stepped down? I, I haven't seen smoke rising from the, the Reddit headquarters. Have you? <laughs> no, I assume it's going to be a very bloody, I think I've said this before, very bloody power struggle. I don't know who's going to win out, but I do want to, uh, again, I think again, thank Soft and Chewy, who's done a very good job. Um, he gave birth to this subreddit. It came out of his body. I don't know which hole. Mm -hmm. He nurtured it. And he, um, he breastfed it. He chest fed it. He breastfed it. He chest fed it. And now it is a rambunctious adolescent. And we're very happy with it. Yes. So you can check that out if you want more conversations. Or the best way to join the conversations is to join us at blockedandreported.org, where for just $5 a month or up, you can get three extra episodes of this podcast every month, in addition to access to our really robust and quite interesting blocked and reported community. Um, the comments section there is really interesting. Um, they often complain that we talk about the comments on the Reddit without talking about their comments. I feel like the reason for that for me is because the Reddit comments are more public and I don't want to, I don't want to air your shit. Yeah. It's really, it's like, it's a, it's just, it feels like more like the family. 
So don't take offense to that. Put air my shit at the end of your Substack comment if you want us to air. Yeah, we need an acronym. Air my shit. AMS. Yeah. We still might not just because yeah. we're we've got stuff going That's on. True. One of us does, not you. Um, yes, but our community over there is great, and it is really the best way to support the show and keep this going. So please join us, blockedreported.org. We have some really exciting primos coming up for you soon. Also, the contest. There's a contest around the holidays with gift oh, subscriptions. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm w- talking to Substack. They're going to send me a list of everyone who qualified, and I'll send something out. Sorry for the lay on that. It will happen. Does, is everybody going to win a prize? I don't know. We'll see how many, what the numbers are. I mean, I'm mostly concerned about the offer to go give a talk somewhere because I still think I'm probably going to get murdered. It's just, it's like a math equation of what percentage of our listeners are murderers. It's not less than 15%. Do you think it's possible that Jonathan M. Katz is going to win this and have you over to his house and then shut you into his, a closet somewhere and keep you there? I mean, I signed up for his newsletter. It's the least he could do. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, there'll be more info on the contest soon. I haven't forgotten. I'm sorry for the delay. All right, so back to the Nazis. Let's get more Nazis. <sighs> back to the Nazis. Okay, yeah, Casey Newton is considered a very high-powered tech reporter and commentator. He founded Platformer, which has like over 173,000 paid and free subscribers on Substack. Yeah, and that's that's huge. Like, I, I don't know exactly how much money he's making, but if his conversion rate is even decent, he's making over a million dollars a year on Substack. Or was. Yeah. Just to put it in perspective, if we had that many subscribers, we would put no effort into anything. It'd be very lazy, I think. We would get that many. We would quit. If we got no, actually, we can't say that. We can't say that. We don't. We don't want people to not subscribe. But yeah, that is just that is a. We would not quit. We would redouble our efforts and hire more people. We would subscribe to the paid version of ChatGPT. We could afford it, and then we would. <laughs> I already do. I already do. Okay. Yeah, he co-hosts. Uh, Casey Newton co-hosts Hard. <laughs> I have Hard Ford in the new in the notes, like Oregon Trail. Hard Fork, a New York Times podcast with Kevin Roos. So in recent weeks, he's taken on this sort of dual role where he's both an activist criticizing stuff. Substack and a journalist reporting on the fallout and looking into and, the problem. And a Substack. It's a, it's a triple role. He's a triple threat. he's also a Substacker. I'm yeah. on the platform. I do activism yelling at the platform and I report yes. on the platform's problems. Um, yes. So in a pair of articles he wrote about this, he sort of expressed his disappointment. He said he was considering yanking platformer off of Substack, which he eventually did. And he explained that he and his team reviewed dozens of Substack posts for extremist content. Uh, the second of the two posts was this kind of sort of victory lap where he announced that Substack had taken down some of the posts he sent them while also noting that Substack had not changed its policies mm-hmm. at all. So it seems like what happened was like he sent Substack these posts of Nazi content that violated the policies, Substack was like, yes, they violated the policies and took them down, which is not really a news story because that happens every day everywhere, right? Right. And I don't know what their process is. Like, does Substack have dedicated moderators whose job is to, like, scroll through various Substack publications looking for stuff to (laughs) spend all day on Substack? I sort of doubt that role exists. So probably what it would take is people complaining people sending Substack links and saying look this violates your 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 content policy yeah yeah and like you you can tell the Substack guys if you think something violates um anyway what matters here uh was that while portraying this as an ambitious search that reviewed dozens of potentially offending accounts Casey Newton did not reveal to his readers at least not at first that they found a grand total of six publications that they passed on to Substack. Six. They reviewed dozens. They had a team. He said they had a team. They only found six. Substack banned five of those publications, and those five publications had no monetization and a grand total of 100 active readers. Basically, these Nazis did not exist as far as Substack is concerned. And he left this out. Yeah, yeah, he left it out. Uh, it was initially reported by Zed Jelani and Alex Gudentag in Public, Michael Schellenberger's publication. Um, I got a copy, too, of the statement Substack sent Casey Newton, which says, of the six publications you reported, five of them we banned. Casey Newton quoted selectively from that uh, statement, but he did not quote from the part where they said <laughs> there were you reported six to us, which to me... If you've been making a ruckus about how Substack has a big Substack, pro- uh, big Substack problem, big Nazi problem, don't you owe it to your readers to say we searched comprehend pretty comprehensively and we only reported six to Substack? Isn't that the most basic transparency thing ever? Or am I just becoming a crank? No, this is ridiculous. I mean, the fact that he cut 
that section of their response seems like he is very explicitly trying to obfuscate the truth, which is that in his own search of Substack, he was unable to find evidence of a significant Nazi problem on Substack. This is bad. I emailed Casey Newton about this and about some other stuff. And when I asked why he didn't reveal the number, he said, um, you know, let's just do a dramatic reading. I'll be me. You be Casey Newton. This was all over email. Okay. I am tempted to ding you guys for not mentioning that you only found six violating accounts. Would that be unfair? It seems like if you're going to be transparent, you should note that a comprehensive search did not reveal a lot of Nazis, even if just to help readers decide how concerned bad they should be. Not the end of the world, but figured I'd give you a heads up. Thanks for the quick response. Extremist researchers encourage me not to share specific examples or numbers, saying that the, that this had proven dangerous for other people who have challenged the Nazis directly. So that's why we did that. Okay, and then he he finishes that email with some unrelated stuff. Then I reply... Ah, interesting. Did they, meaning the extremism researchers, specify how it could prove dangerous to reveal how many Nazi accounts you found? Basically, when the Nazis find out that you're the reason their account no longer exists, they dox you and try to make your life miserable. What the fuck, Jesse? This doesn't make any sense. Of course they would- Katie, let me finish. Let me finish. (laughs) It's not the fact that that he actually said that he got these Nazi accounts taken off. It's the fact that he revealed the number that was going to tell them that he got the Nazi accounts. Katie, you're interrupting our dramatic reading. Okay. This is how I replied to that, calmly and with grace and dignity, unlike certain people. Not trying to be difficult, but won't they find out by reading the newsletter you just sent out (laughs) announcing that because of your intervention, Substack had banned some Nazi accounts? Uh, Then he changed the subject, and he would not answer that question. Oh, my God. I never got an answer as to how it could possibly be the case that that Casey Newton would have been putting himself or his team at risk by revealing the number of accounts they'd sent to Substack, but not by saying we sent accounts to Substack and they banned them. It makes no sense. I mean, you know, maybe the Nazis have some sort of very specific brain issue that they can, they can only read the numbers. <laughs> Is that the issue here? Are they shape rotators or are they? Yeah, they are definitely house? shape rotators. Yeah. Anyway, so Casey Newton uh, eventually announced that he's shipping off to Ghost. Ghost is this open source uh, (laughs) publishing platform. So there's some confusion here. My understanding is Ghost is open source software. Anyone can download it and run it on their own, including Nazis. Yeah, this is what made it so hilarious when in the the last round of people trying to take down Substack was, you know, Substackers against Substack, including people like Jude Doyle who left Substack over Substack's supposed transphobia problem and then went to Ghost, a platform with even less content moderation. Yeah, so it's a little complicated. It's open source software. You can download, you can sort of run your own instance of it. Now, Ghost does have content moderation. As Casey Newton pointed out in his goodbye post, um, they have more intense content moderation on the sites they themselves host. Like if they are hosting you. It's much more. But it's open source software, so anybody can use their software. Can download it and run it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, when I say this is more intense content moderation, much more intense, Katie, here's a partial list of what's banned on Ghost. And these are all direct quotes from the terms of service. Content is uh, not allowed, which, quote, invades any any individual's rights of privacy. That's not defined, and that means very different things in different jurisdictions. Violates or encourages any conduct that would violate any applicable law or regulation or would give rise to civil or criminal liability. Is fraudulent, false, misleading, deceptive, untruthful, or, or inaccurate. Is offensive, profane, Contains or depicts pornography that is in breach of applicable laws and regulations. Uh, Offensive. I guess we can't be on ghost because we're offensive. Promotes discrimination, bigotry, racism, hatred, harassment, abuse, or harm against any individual or group. As I pointed out. You can't say punch Nazis. Well, also, an arms manufacturer is a group. So if you want to boycott them, you're promoting harm against them. True. and then promotes illegal or harmful activities or substances in breach of applicable laws and regulations. You know who, the, who Ghost is going to be really bad for is Palestinian activists. Uh, that's exactly the point I make in my piece. Um, as I pointed out in my second subtext piece on this, on Ghost, you cannot say, quote, I think we should block the bridge to support Palestinian human rights in Gaza. Uh, now, you and I, I think, probably agree blocking bridges is stupid. Do we think people should be kicked off a platform for calling for nonviolent civil disobedience? No, I think they should be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> this idea that 
Casey Newton gets to adopt the high ground while moving to a platform that if it followed its own rules, which of course it won't, that would ban huge amounts of important and meaningful progressive and left-wing speech. Now, of course, I think huge amounts of speech on the right should be allowed too, but from Casey Newton's perspective, he's all social justice Um, Look, if Ghost followed its guidelines... As they're written, it would outlaw huge amounts of pro-Palestinian activism. You couldn't say, for example, you should take shrooms, even if they're illegal in your jurisdiction. They'll open your mind. You can't say that because you're promoting illegal activity. Um, As for false, misleading, deceptive, untruthful, or inaccurate, it is insane to me that any journalist would accept this as a term of service for a platform where they're setting up shop. Insane. Especially one who has just recently published a post that is misleading (laughs) yeah well also like (laughs) even if you're a good journalist part of the experience of being a journalist is people claiming what you wrote is false if no one's ever claimed what you've written is false you're not writing about anything important so you casey newton and platformer you're going to set up shop on a platform where the platform gets to determine that and potentially suspend or ban you because they think what you said is inaccurate? Are you out of your fucking mind? Who gets to decide what's deceptive, untruthful, or inaccurate? These are insanely broad terms of service that give ghosts huge amounts of power to censor speech. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait until Casey Newton has migrated his old content to Ghost, and I'm going to report him for misleading content for that <laughs> post, for for, de- for deceiving his uh, his readers about the number of Nazis were on the platform. Okay. I, w- I, was, I was thinking about Jude Doyle, who yeah. went to Ghost, and around that time, she said that I was well known for stalking trans women. <laughs> and I was like, well, that seems pretty abusive, harmful, inaccurate. Yes. But apparently, uh, that mention did not make it onto Ghost, so I can't complain yeah. and wouldn't complain. Okay, Jesse. So during your uh, correspondence with Casey Newton, it seemed as though he was pissed at you and pissed at Substack for uh, revealing the fact that he found only six instances of of Nazi Nazi content on the site. Right. This is one of the strange things that ha- one of many strange things from this email thread I had with Casey Newton. So yeah, after I was like, I'm not trying to be difficult, but effectively what you're saying doesn't make sense <laughs> but here it'd be difficult so instead of answering that question he responded when i started this i never imagined that substack would frame this entire thing around a list of substacks that platformer had submitted and then have hamish leak the number to schellenberger's reporters after telling me that all our conversations were off the record my hope was that our effort would result in a policy change and that if any numbers were shared by Substack, they would be the result of a comprehensive review of the platform rather than based solely on our partial volunteer effort. He did not describe it as a partial volunteer effort when he described it publicly. He, he made it sound significantly more ambitious than that. Instead, Substack shared the number. Now it's everywhere. And yes, the Nazis will have all the information they need. <laughs> to, which I, to, which I, to which I responded, to which I responded, what information do they now have that you're worried about? And again, he didn't he didn't answer. Right. I'm pretty sure the Nazis are going to know that you're the person who got them kicked off the platform since you just wrote a piece about getting them kicked off the platform. I don't really know what he means by the like if I'm having I'm trying to think about it. Like there's cases where you agree with a source that they won't talk about something like for exclusivity and stuff, but the idea that Substack is not allowed to talk about He printed the email, he just took out the parts that made him look bad. It obviously wasn't off the record. He printed the fucking email himself. Well, I think he was. He seems to be saying Substack agreed it would be off the record, but then... Why would they agree I, to be off I the record if he's uh, printing the, the... That's impossible. They can't... If they said it off the record... I don't know. Yeah. I asked Hamish about it. Hamish didn't want to talk. I mean, Hamish has to be careful. And at the time, he was. this was still a Substack publication, so it's all very yeah. careful. But that, that makes... This makes no sense. Okay, so... But there are other people who have been looking into this right i saw i saw you interacting on twitter with somebody who has this also has a Substack who said that she found what hundreds dozens of of i don't know i this was a paywall thing it was people i'd never heard of i no one is providing public did heart. they give you the did they give you the the access to the post no i didn't they said they couldn't for some reason I, like i asked and they i know i did they didn't email me also the other thing is um, so Casey Newton's looking into the Nazi problem, right? Apparently. <laughs> well, yeah. Jonathan Katz says, I have a list of 16 Nazi accounts. What What do you think Casey Newton would probably do in one of his first emails as a journalist? I mean... Can you give me those accounts? That'd be step number one. He didn't. He didn't say to John Katz, hey, 
and who, who and obviously Katz would know that Casey Newton is a sympathetic reporter. Casey Newton didn't even bother asking Katz for the 16 Nazi accounts, he told me. So what is going on here? This is not journalism, whatever it is. What's going on here is that these guys who have made – Katz has a Substack too. I don't know if he makes any money off of it. But these guys who have really benefited from Substack also hate the platform because of some ideological differences <laughs> that yeah. they have with it. And so they are attempting to take it down, which will make them look like the good guys. And for Casey Newton, this is a fucking absolute win-win because – he gets to look like the good moral guy who's trying to take down Nazis, who refuses to share a platform with Nazis, even if the Nazis are making zero money on the platform. He also gets to pacify his readers who are super concerned about the Nazi problem on Substack. And he moves to a platform where the fees are way, way lower. Ghost take, like Substack <laughs> yeah. takes 10%. It's a significant yep. percentage. So Casey Newton, by moving to Ghost, he's going to be saving, I would guess, upwards of $100,000 a year. And and he gets all this media attention, including a mainstream outlets. Yeah. yeah, Washington Post published a big article about him today with a big glossy photo of him. That's going to get him even more readers. So this is an absolute win-win-win for Casey Newman. I, you know, I'm I'm impressed. You know, Jesse, I heard that subset has a Nazi problem. Let's move to Ghost and save ourselves tens of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, it just we're doing it for morality reasons, though. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's also like it's just it's been weird to watch because it's it's such a good example of like the power of in-group pressure. Um, yeah, it would be in a lot of these guys financial interests, at least the ones not leaving Substack to look at this problem with a cool and dispassionate eye and be like, OK, let's investigate how big the problem is before we decide what to do. Instead, everyone needs to pretend it's a big problem so they're not called a Nazi and they hurt. They're just shooting themselves in the dick. I wonder how these people feel about Hamas. <laughs> Another group hard hard to post pro Hamas stuff on um, on Ghost, but it would it's yeah. welcome on Substack as long as it doesn't include a credible threat of violence. So um, you know, yeah. I, I I looked for I sir I tried to find some Nazi content on Substack. I couldn't find it. I would really love to know their methods. I've, I've been searching forever because I need right. to find my people. I'm serious though. I like I cannot. I search for various different terms, including the Jews, and uh, I couldn't find any Nazi Substack. So I'm very curious to know what their methods were, but they're not telling do you i i don't care that if there's a small handful of actual nazis on Substack, i feel like at a certain point you need to live by your free speech values i would rather be on a platform with nazis than a platform where i can't like call for civil disobedience or where a lot of pro-palestinian activism or pro-israeli activism for that matter could easily be banned i it i just to me that's a very easy decision about which i would prefer as like a writer and podcaster this is all i give yeah, go ahead. no shits about the number of nazis on on substack they don't they don't affect me at all uh, i don't think they actually affect anybody because i don't think that this is a group of people who has much cultural capital at this point uh and you know what, Casey, Jonathan Katz, all of us already do share a platform with Nazis because we're all on Twitter and there are actual Nazis on fucking Twitter. There's so many more Nazis right. on Twitter. Right. There's so many more. There are probably more Nazis on Instagram, on Mastodon, on Threads, on every other social media platform that these people use than there are on Substack. And you know what, it's possible that somebody has found dozens of violent accounts on Substack or Nazi accounts. But they need to show them to us. I'm not going to take anybody's word for this. Really? You don't find Jonathan M. Katz or Casey Newton trustworthy? Not at this point. Maybe last week. No, not last week either. Mm, I guess that's it. Do you have anything else on this? Yeah, I want to talk briefly about the open letters. So there was the subsec has a Nazi problem, the anti-subsec open letter. And then in response to that, there was another open letter that was signed by a bunch of friends of ours, our, our close friends like Richard Dawkins. And uh, let's just talk about that really briefly. Richie D? Richie D. Dickie D. Let's just talk about that briefly. So, so Hamish came to us and said basically like there's another Substack writer who's organizing a letter in defense of Substack and would you be interested in signing it? Pro-Nazi letter. And we didn't. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to explain your rationale? We didn't. <laughs> I mean, part of it's just <laughs> post Harper's yeah. uh, open letter hangover, which is lingering. Uh, I just sort of... I felt like the Substack has a Nazi problem thing was in such bad faith that, first of all, you're like legitimizing it by responding to it. I guess that turned out to be wrong because it got a lot of mainstream attention. I also like I, I didn't exactly agree with I don't even remember how it was phrased. I honestly I didn't really consider signing it that much. Um, I thought it was like if Substack is not following its content uh, policies and not removing violent content, I'm fine 
with saying Substack should do that. And the letter just wasn't phrased in a way where I like 100% agreed and wanted to get involved. I also thought like, if this blew up further, be like, oh my God, Jesse Singlin, Katie Herzog are on there. Although Barry Weiss was on there, right? Right. So I just, I, I just, it seemed, this all seemed a little bit, I appreciate people are trying to support free speech and Substack's approach to it, but we can do that without, you know, signing a letter to, an, uh, signing our names to an open letter, which that means we, in theory, agree with every word of it. Why did you not sign it? At this point, my guiding principle in life is avoiding drama. I would like to live a very... That's not true. You're a liar. That's inaccurate. And you're going to get banned from ghosts. What, is, what are you talking about? I have very little drama in my life. Continue. And to me, this like dueling open letter thing, I find it like kind of cringe. Like, it should have been a dance off. Yeah. There's going to be an open letter, then a response to the open letter, and then a response to the response to the open letter. And I will say like the Substack, the anti-Substack open letter was extremely fucking stupid. They only posted people's first names. Did John, did John did sign it that? or Ben? So that was very funny. But I just, I find the whole thing, these like dueling open letters, I just, it like, it creates all this drama. I think that this was always, this always. You don't want to create drama. You did just call the open letter signed by some of our friends. It's fucking stupid. I didn't say that. Did I say fucking stupid? I don't think I said that. I thought so, I yeah. No, I didn't well, you say can that. go back and listen. You can bleep it out. That. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I definitely didn't say that. I think you said that. I didn't say that. I did not say it was fucking stupid. I just think that okay. this, that the, that the, the cycle of, the cycle of like, we're going to write a letter, then you're going to write a letter, and then we're going to write a letter, and they're going to write, I just, I don't want to be a part of it. And I thought that this whole story was fucking stupid, the Nazi yeah. problem. It's much ado about a handful of losers on a platform. On a platform for losers. Yeah, on a platform for losers. And I just I support Substack. We support Substack by giving them ten percent of our money. I think we're I think we yeah. they've been very good to us. We're being hopefully being good to them. Uh, I like these guys. I support them, but I just I don't want to be I don't want to be. A, let's break the cycle of open letters. Can we do that? I think it would be so. If we could go back to the time when humans solved these disagreements with violence, it would be so much better. Let's be honest. Anything else, Jesse? Nope. This has been blocked and reported. As always, we are produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains and Jessica, the '80s baby. I'm Jesse Single, and remember to check out my newsletter. Mind Substack. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, Substack might not actually have a Nazi problem, but the Atlantic definitely has a cat's problem. <laughs> <laughs>